Hosea chapter 1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Barry, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute, so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, Name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, Name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah, not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them. But I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their God. After Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, Name him Loami, not my people. For Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then, at the place where they were told, You are not my people, it will be said, You are children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together. They will choose one leader for themselves, and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God will again plant his people in his land. In that day, you will call your brothers Ami, my people, and you will call your sisters Rohama, the ones I love. Sunday. What a day. What a day to come to church. Uh, I, uh, I also want to thank uh, the elders, deacons, and pastoral staff this weekend. Uh, we spent some time having a retreat to pray for you, to look towards the future, and to really realign ourselves to commitment to this body. Our theme for our retreat was why I love the church. And uh, two of the discussions was one of the reasons we love the church is because the church is the body of Christ. All of you are the body of Christ. Uh, we learned that there is what's called the universal church, the invisible church, but the invisible church is seen through the local church. And the local church is God's expression on earth here in this area. So you guys are, as a local church, the expression of Christ's body. Second thing we learned about the church is that it's the bride of Christ, the one he loves, the one he adores. And as I was thinking through some of these things, I was wondering, when we come to church, do you ever, do we think about that too often? Like when you come and you sit in your pew, do you say, man, I'm here at church because I'm his bride, or I'm here because I'm his 
part of his body. And I would, I would dare say not many of us really think about that. That's not really why we come to church. So why do people come to church? I think some people come to church because they think they're supposed to. I think some people come to church to be fed the word or to um, sing to God with other brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you would really get deep into why do people come to church? Because comparatively, church is not that exciting to what you could be doing. And I think in the heart of all of us, we know if we didn't have church, we, are, we forget God so easy. We leave him behind. It's sort of like the knowledge of God is like, sand in your hand. As long as you're looking at it, concentrating, keep that sand in there. But once you look around, you open your fingers a little bit and it just falls right through. I think the knowledge of God and the love of God is like that. In life, when you concentrate on him, when you meditate on him, when you think about him, he draws near you. But then when a shiny object in the world goes by or when problems show up or bills have to be paid or my kids driving me nuts we forget God so so quickly when I first went to Moody Bible Institute I can I'll never forget my very first class I was ready to really study the Bible put my books down on my desk sat in my seat and I'm getting ready to study the Bible and the teacher stands up and he says this for five minutes God is a person. God is a person. God is a person. And I'm thinking, why does he say that? I, yeah, but the reason why is because what happens is after a while, God becomes doctrines or an idea or a set of rules. But he wanted to hammer in our mind, before we get to study, we have to realize God actually lives and he exists. And he watches you and he wants to relate with you. I read this quote as I was studying. God is active. God is knowable. And God is always at work. So we are here to talk about a being that is alive today, right now. As I was studying Hosea, this came to my mind. And I think God, personally, is the most completely and utterly misunderstood being in the world. He's completely misunderstood. And so the reason we, we decided to pick a study in Hosea, because Hosea is a book that forces you to look at the heart of God. It's a, here's the story. It's very simple. He chooses this guy by the name of Hosea, who's a prophet. He asks Hosea to marry a lady named Gomer. Gomer's a prostitute. Gomer's unfaithful. Gomer cheats on him. But yet Hosea still loves her. And the point of this book is to get you to see that God is just like Hosea. And quite frankly, outside of God, we are just like Gomer. We're quick to run towards everything else but him. Leave him behind, but yet there he is, brokenhearted, wanting us. That's why we're going to study the book of Hosea. So if you can stay in Hosea, his name actually means 
salvation. That's what his name means, salvation. So this marriage, Hosea and Gomer, is a picture of salvation, how we are saved. Today we're going to talk about salvation generally speaking. This is going to be more of an introductory message. As we go through the book of Hosea, we are going to flesh it out very, very specifically and detailed. Because it gets raw. This book is pretty tough. But its intent is to cause you to see the heart of God. As I was thinking about this, you and I, most of us understand marriage, a promise in marriage, loyalty. We, we understand when you hurt one another and how there can be separation and how you need forgiveness. And God has chosen specifically to use marriage as a picture of his love for us. And it's pretty heavy. I would dare say this. Most of us come to church because we want something from God. And if he doesn't give it to us, we're pretty upset. But if he gives it to us, we say, thank you, God, see you later, and we go on our way. Rarely do we wonder, how does God feel about me when I ignore him most of the day? How does God view me when I, when I haven't talked to him in years, and yet I'm mad at him when I ask a prayer and he doesn't seem to answer? We can be silent with him, but man, the moment he's silent with us, we're the first ones to get angry with him. How does he feel? That's what we're going to ask. Before we go into Hosea, I just want to give you a basic um, history on the world that Hosea lived in, because it's very much like ours. If you know much about the Old Testament, it's written to a group of people called the Jews the, who lived in Israel. So they lived in this nation Israel, Israel, which... Hopefully you know where Israel is. Mediterranean Sea is right there, and it's north of Egypt, south of like Turkey. Hosea lived during the time of the divided kingdom. King David brought the 12 tribes of Israel together into one big kingdom. He had a son named Solomon. Solomon was this king of peace. Solomon, however, his sons were wicked. God judged them, so he split Israel in two. So you have the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom is known as Israel, with the city capital is Samaria. And then you have the southern kingdom, and there's ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom is known as Judah, and Jerusalem is the capital. Hosea was sent to the north. So this prophecy, this book of Hosea, was given as a letter to the northern people. Here is the time period that he lived. So Hosea was a prophet for 43 years. It's a long time. He was given a message from God to go to the northern kingdom to bring. Sometimes he had a message for the southern kingdom, Judah, but mostly it was for the northern kingdom. He, it is known that he lived during Israel's zero hour because during his lifetime, the northern kingdom was taken away as captives by the Assyrians, which would be the northern Iraqi, Iran area. They were made slaves. But let me show you how bad his time was. He entered the scene when Jeroboam, who's one of these kings, was on the waning days of his reign. He was a king for 41 years. His last three years, Hosea was a prophet. Jeroboam was wicked. By wicked, he would have people in Israel worship Baal. Baal was a god where parents would put the god on the arms of Baal 
while the fires would consume them, kill those children as an offering to the fertility gods. See, they were agricultural. They were farmers. And if you gave an offering to Baal or Ashtaroth, you would get a blessing. That means you'd have crops that were fruitful. That's what they believed. Even though God said, I'll take care of you, they said, we don't trust you, God. You know what? We're going to worship these rotten Baals and Ashtaroths. Another way that they worship them, they'd have these big shrines where they would have orgies. It's wicked. After Jeroboam died, his son, his name Zechariah, he ruled for six months because he was even more wicked than his dad. And then he got assassinated. He got assassinated by Shalom. Shalom was more wicked than him. He ruled one month, and he got assassinated. He got assassinated by this guy, Menahem. Menahem was bad. I mean bad. Menahem would take over whole cities. It said he would go. You can read this in Kings, the book of Kings. He would go into the cities, and it says he would just stab pregnant women. He didn't care. He died. The person who followed him was Pekah, Pekaniah, Pekanah. Pekanah was king for two years, and he got assassinated by Pekah, a Roman soldier. And he got, after 20 years, got assassinated. After he got assassinated came Hosea. Sounds a lot like Hosea. He was king for nine years until the Assyrians came down with a massive army, put them all in chains, and carried them off to a distant land. Actually, those people from Assyria, while they carried off the Israelis to a distant land, they would have some of their people settle take over the northern kingdom, and in the New Testament, they're known as Samaritans. Good Samaritans. Actually, the Assyrians were so bad that it said they'd put hooks in the noses of these people and drag them to Assyria and hang them on the walls to show how fierce they were. So the Assyrians were bad. This is what, so this is the world Hosea was preaching to. These are supposed to be God's people. Here's what their culture was like when they came on the scene. Jeroboam was rich, man. I mean, he was super rich. But then, in his prosperity, they forgot God and they started worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth. When they started worshiping Baal and Ashtaroth, they started having a really, we're going to talk about this in Hosea 4, Hosea 5. Their social decay was incredible. Where it says that they would they just had murders, lying. Their court system was all messed up. Their politics was kind of weird. Does this remind? No, it's not like America. Nothing like America. And they got to such a point where they did not even care about God anymore. But you know the people in our culture are usually the angriest at God, never want to have anything to do with them in the first place? What I never understood, why are atheists always mad at God? If he doesn't exist, why are you mad? Why are you mad? It's crazy. So what I'm going to walk through today is I'm going to give you what I'm going to call just the template of salvation. Hosea's name means salvation, deliverance, being rescued. And I'm going to walk through four stages of how salvation works through the marriage of Hosea and Gomer. And what you're going to see in the next coming weeks is that God is going to flesh this out in very vivid colors. 
But you need to first understand salvation because it works exactly the same way in your life. Exactly. Here's how it starts. Go to Hosea 1, verse 1. I do my studies, by the way, in the NIV, and then I was yelled at by some of the deacons this weekend, said we need to read it out of the ESV, so I'll read it out of the ESV, and then some deacons wanted it read out of the NLT, or actually Trevor Miller did, so we acquiesced to Trevor Miller, so we read out of the NLT, I study out of the NIV, and I preach out of the ESV. By the time we're done with this, we'll be speaking Hebrew, so get ready. All right, so the book of Hosea, chapter 1, he begins in verse 1 of the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. His name means salvation. The son of Berai in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, those are kings of Judah. And he's writing this because Israel's listening to this and so, is the, so are the Jews from Judah. And it kind of gives you a time frame of when Hosea was prophet. And also during the Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel. You just learned that. I, want you to, I just want to show you that this is, this is embedded in history. All right. Verse 1. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife. Everything. Everything when it comes to salvation, but when it comes to everything, everything. Don't, look, don't forget this. Starts. Everything starts with God. We love because he first loved us. Always, everything, having every good and perfect gift is from the Father of the heavenly lights. Everything's from God. God speaks in the story. God initiates, and what he says, he begins speaking to Hosea, and he says, Hosea, I want you to go and marry this lady that you're going to find out is going to break your heart. But if he didn't marry this lady, this lady would have had nothing. This lady would have had nothing. If God didn't first speak, if he first didn't initiate love towards us, we would be lost. What if God remained silent? What if God chose not to open up his heart to us? We would all be lost in our sin and our merry ways. And we would really be swimming upstream. I mean, look at the world that decided to get rid of God. They don't even know what a man is or a woman is. They don't even know what lying is. In they don't know anything. And they're perfectly fine with that. We have a mistaken idea that we are the initiators to God. We go after him. But the truth is he first loves us. I want you just to think about this, first of all, who made you? Go to Psalm 139.16. Psalm 139.16. I just want you to understand, because what's going to happen in this book of Hosea, is Hosea has been given everything to his wife. And she goes after other lovers to get those things, thinking that the things that she originally has are from these other things. Completely ignores that. In the same way, God is the one that has given us everything. Psalm 139.16, he's talking about when he created us in our mother's womb. says, your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. In your book 
were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. I like how the NIV puts it, Psalm 139, verse 16, says this. So Paul, this is why I use the NIV. Anyhow, Psalm 139, 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Think of that. Before we existed, God knew all of our days because he wrote our story. So if he wrote our story, if he's the author and the finisher of our faith, who are we to take any credit for it? But we do. We do because we're pretty arrogant. Who holds you together now? Colossians 1.17. All things are held together by him who's the firstborn from the dead, Christ. That's Colossians 1.17. Paul was preaching in Mars Hill, and he's looking at all these guys trying to explain him, God to them, and he goes, in him you live, you move, and you have your being. The reason your heart is beating right now is God lets it beat. Why do you take credit for the good you do when 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, who are you to boast about anything you have? Your intelligence, your looks, your athletic ability, your bank account, when he's the one that made you? I mean, when you think through all those things, why do people hate the idea of God being sovereign? Why do people believe they can live free and independent from God when he's the one that lets us live today? He is the potter. We are the clay. Everything starts from him. Second thing about salvation, that's the first step. Second thing about salvation, if it wasn't for him, we would be left in our sin. The human heart, according to Hosea, is unfaithful, or it's faithless. He says here in verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go and take yourself a wife of whoredom, an adulteress, a lady who sleeps around. Go take her and have children of whoredom or unfaithful children for the land commits great adultery, unfaithfulness or whoredom for forsaking the Lord. So what he's doing is he's saying, Hosea, you're going to marry Gomer who's going to cheat on you. And the reason I want you to do it because my people have been cheating on me. The truth of the matter is, so do we. Romans 3 says, man, we're full of sin. Romans 5 said, before Christ came, we were ungodly, we were enemies, we were sinners. Colossians 1.21 says, we were enemies in our minds. Meaning we, if God didn't interfere, we don't want God. It's, just, it's kind of a bleak story, but that's where salvation begins. That's where salvation begins. And what God does is he uses Hosea's marriage to Gomer so you can feel this faithlessness. See, when we just use doctrine, we don't feel it. But can you imagine being Hosea? You say, I do to your wife. You go home and she's with another man. Could you imagine being God, God who made you, and you want nothing to do with him? What, is that, what does that do to God? God sent his son to die for you, and a big majority of us just yawn and go, 
Yeah, I've heard that a hundred times. So what? So what? What does that do to God's heart? The same thing it did to Hosea is when he saw his wife in bed with another man. How many of you say you believe, but God has no bearing on your life whatsoever? You're lazy, apathetic, and you see no need for God. I remember, I was, I was talking with Derek about some things, and I was thinking back to when I first, before I really was a Christian, I went to church faithfully, but I'm the kind of guy that went to church because I thought you're supposed to go to church, and I looked really holy going to church, but God wasn't even in my mind or heart. I was thinking more about me and how good of a person I look by doing what you're supposed to do. But I still was unfaithful because after I left church, I didn't even care. Some of you are like that, I'll be honest with you. And this book of Hosea is meant to say, don't you care about God and how he feels? Well, stage three and this is the hardest part, and this is going to be all through this book, is God allows trouble. God actually sends trouble because it's a tool so you'll be open to God's love. Listen to what he says in verse 4. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for just in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. So he's basically talking about his people. There's a story about Jehu where he, he basically went way overboard in killing some people. You can read that on your own if you want, but I'm just giving you the general outline of what this book's about. And he says um, in verse 4, I will punish the house for sinning. I will put an end to their, to their existence, and I will break their bow. So in a way you could say like this, God will chastise, he will punish, and if you don't lend it to his punishment, he will bring an end to your sin in such a way that you will hate it. And then he will ultimately break you, so you'll have to call out for him. Salvation means being saved. Some people like to use a little, the illustration of it's like a life preserver, but if you're not drowning, why will you reach out for a life preserver? He first reveals how desperately you need him. Listen to what one writer says about the American mind. To put the matter plainly, a God who judges now is not only an inconvenience to Western thought, to us, like we don't like a God who will judge us now, but in some deeper sense, highly illogical. God's judgment does not fit well with the idea of modern progress. And therapeutic affirmation. Therapeutic affirmation means, I just want God to tell me I'm good and I'm, he really likes me and makes me feel better. We don't like a God who judges because it interferes with therapy. We may find it easier to dispense with or avoid this notion of a God that judges than to grant its space in our lives somehow so that in turn it calls for a transformation on our part. We don't want that. We would much rather have a God who is love, who is endlessly merciful and forgiving and ultimately the guarantor of everything we deem sacrosanct than a God who gets in the way of our lives, and gets in the way of our aspirations, who judges us for the sake of growth in our lives and truth. In other words, we don't like this idea of chastisement. We don't like it. 
But I'm telling you, half of Hosea is all about chastisement because God wants us to turn. Before I go there, what's very interesting is God has chosen to use marriage as the model of his love. I'll be honest with you, I have seen more people in this church come to Christ because their marriages were falling apart. He uses marriage more than any other tool to get people's attention. Because when you love somebody and they, you're either at odds with them or they leave you or something, you're like, God, I need help. And then God says, yeah, but you're doing the same thing to me. And people are broken. They're like, oh. Which leads to the fourth stage. The fourth stage is found in verse 7. It's beautiful. But, so like verse 5 and 6, he talks about how he's, Gomer's going to have these kids, and these kids are going to have bad names, like no mercy, not my children, because they're distant from God. That's the heart, that's the human heart, and that's the offspring we have when we don't want God in our life. But then he says, but... Because God loves us, because his love's unrelenting, because he loves us aside of who we are, he says, I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horsemen, or horses. I'm not going to save them by their, their means. I'm going to save them. But I want you to take a look at this verse real close. It says, I will show love. I will save them. Remember, Hosea's name is salvation, deliverance. And how is he going to save them? By the Lord their God. The word Lord there in the Hebrew is Yahweh, Jehovah. That's the Hebrew word. So this verse says, Jehovah does the saving. If, let's say we take that concept and we want to condense that and we want to say Jehovah does the saving. We could, we could put it in one word. It's real simple. J, Jehovah, Seuss, saves Jesus. The way God rescues us is through a man. A man that loves us. He loved us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. What's very interesting about this Jesus is look at verse 11. He's going to talk about when God ultimately fulfills his promise to Israel. Watch how he ultimately is going to fulfill his promise to Israel. So you could start actually in verse 10. If you remember Israel, he formed this, this nation by this guy Abraham and told Abraham, you're going to have as many stars in the sky. So verse 10, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea. So he just, he's, he told um, Hosea, your wife's going to have kids named uh, No Mercy and Not My People. That's what I want you to name them. But they're going to have their names changed. And so he's going to talk about a time when the names are changed. Verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. Huh, that's the original promise from Genesis chapter 3, or 12, verse 3. You are not my people, it shall be said of them, children of the living God. So they will get a new name. 
and the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one leader, one head, one person. Jews know him as the Messiah. That word Messiah in the Greek has been changed to Christ. So Jehovah saves through Christ. Jesus Christ. He's not only going to save his people, but he has come to save you. So what we do on a regular basis is we illustrate this truth. We have what's called the Lord's Table. We have bread, which is broken. It's interesting, it's broken. It represents his body. It represents a person's body that is broken. Remember how God punishes? First, he punishes. Do you know Jesus was punished for us? He wants to bring us to the end of our sins. You know when Jesus died on a cross, he said, it's finished, I've reached the end. Teltelestai means it's the end. And um, he wants to break us. And Jesus was broken for us. And we also have here, this represents his blood, that he actually died in your place, which shows how much he loved you. So we celebrate this to realize that our salvation, our deliverance, has gone from the God who first loves me, saw me as a sinner who is unfaithful. He brings us, most of you who really came to Christ, he brought you probably to some crisis point. And then he shows up as the only answer for our sins.